This is Floyd Hughes, pastor of Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. I just wanted to share about my new book, Act Like an E-Christian. The E stands for evangelical. And despite what you may have heard, evangelical Christianity has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the reason the body of Christ exists, sharing the gospel. My book, a devotional based on the book of Acts, prayerfully encourages Christ followers to return to our evangelical roots of sharing the gospel with folks in our circles of influence. It's available on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle, and you can pick up a copy today. Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. We're at the beginning of a new series, Walking Through the Book of Esther, uh, which many of you have probably read. And as we shared last week, the emphasis or the theme of this book is how the celebration of the man-made holiday, Purim, came to be. Uh, And Purim is a holiday that's celebrated even today in Jewish culture. And it's celebrated because the lives of the Israelites were saved, much in the same way we celebrate Christmas because of the birth of Christ and the salvation that it brought to humanity. Uh, So I'm going to do a quick recap, but if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Esther chapter 2. But I'm going to do a quick recap. Last week, we started out by looking at Esther chapter 9. And in Esther chapter 9, this is what it says. Uh, It's talking about the annual celebration on the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, which is, I think, March. It says, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy, their mourning into a day of celebration, and he, Mordecai, wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and as giving gifts to the poor. Then he goes on and he says this. He says, therefore, these days were called Purim from the word pur. Uh, The word pur literally means lot because lots were cast on what day that they were all, all the Israelites were going to be killed. Uh, I originally thought it was from the purge, If you haven't seen the Purge movies, don't Google those because they're not Christian-like movies. But uh, it's from Purge. It says, because everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them. And so they created this holiday. The Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they, their descendants, all who join them, anyone that becomes a part of their community, should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed, and that these days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, in every province, in every city, and these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. So they thought that these days were important enough to create a national holiday. This isn't something, one of the feasts that God said you have to observe. This is the people of Israel saying, hey, look, this is important enough. We're going to create a national holiday, and we're going to remember and celebrate the fact that our lives were saved. And this is why I said uh, we're kind of teaching it as a type of Christmas story, not because it points to the birth of Christ, 
but because Christmas is all about the fact that we look back at the birth of Christ bringing salvation to humanity, right? Now, as many people know, um, whenever we start a book of the Bible, well, most of you guys know, I like to give you a lot of background. So let me give you a little bit of background again. If you have a Bible, go to Esther chapter 2, but I'm going to jump into Esther chapter 1 and then give you a little bit of background. So in Esther chapter 1, we touched on this a little bit last week, it says verse 1, this is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. And at that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. So uh, here's technically uh, what happened. Xerxes, and I'm going to give you a little bit of background history. Xerxes was the ruler of the Medi or Medo-Persian Empire from 485 to 465 BC. There's actually another name for it, uh, like Archimedic or Arch something. I don't remember what the name is, but it's the Medo-Persian Empire, and he ruled over it from 485 to 486. The Medi Medo-Persian Empire ended. Uh, in 330 BC, when Alexander the Great came in, and he like conquered it on his path to conquer like the known world. And uh, the details of all of this, though, are prophesied in the book of Daniel, which tells us not only that uh, the, the Medo-Persian Empire was going to conquer the Babylonians, but that the Greek Alexander the Great was going to conquer them, and then it goes on and on. So uh, love the fact that history lines up. Now, Xerxes, right, he ruled from this time. Uh, he was the son of one of the Persian rulers called Darius the Great. 485 to 460 BC, 465 BC is when he ruled. The book of Esther takes place about 483 to 473 BC. And it takes place biblically between the book of Ezra, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Uh, really quick, again, let me just stay in Esther. But in Ezra chapter 6, when you get to Ezra chapter 6, this is what you read. The end of Ezra chapter 6 says, They, meaning the Israelites, kept the feast of unleavened bread for seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria, referring to Darius king of Persia, to them so that he strengthened their hands in the work of the house of the God, the God of Israel. And originally they were getting a little bit of pushback because they were still in captivity, but they were allowed to go back to Israel and rebuild parts of the city, and rebuild parts of the kingdom, and they were getting pushback. But this Darius, Darius the Great, gave them some leeway and said, yeah, go ahead. So they celebrated. Now, there's about 60 years that passes after this verse, because when you get to chapter 7, verse 1, it says, now after this, meaning after that time, in the reign of Artaxerxes, son of Xerxes, or Ahasuerus, king of Persia. So there's 60 years between Ezra chapter 6 and Ezra chapter 7. And Ezra chapter 7, we see Artaxerxes, the son of Xerxes, is now on the throne. So we're in in between that time period where Xerxes is the one who's on the throne, Xerxes is the one who's ruling. Um, now, here's the thing. Because the book of Esther, 
is named after Esther. And because she's the queen, most of us think the hero of the book is Esther. It's okay to say Esther. It wasn't a trick question. Esther. Her name's all over it. She's kind of like, it, it, it's all about her. But the reality is, if you read through the book, as we're going to see, the real hero of the book of Esther is Mordecai. Mordecai is her uncle. And Mordecai is kind of like this background figure. But Mordecai serves as a type of the church in everything that he does. And it's a reflection of what we, the church, should be like. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Esther chapter 2. And let me start. We're going to start in verse 5 of Esther chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll have someone uh, bring one to you so you can follow along. Esther chapter 2, verse 5, it says this. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This girl, who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features, and Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. So Mordecai, his name literally means little man, and he is in the background of this story, but he also is the hero of this story because in everything he does, he acts kind of like the church should act. Uh, he takes in her uh, when her family dies and she's in need, and he provides one of the core values that we have here, authentic community for her. Authentic means, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be real with you. But community meaning I'm going to be there for you. And when she had no one else, he steps in and he says, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to be family for you. And I'm going to be like the church should be to those in need. Uh, jump down to chapter 10, I mean, verse 10, it says this. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Now, just to bring you up to speed, um, as we talked about last week, uh, the king had this big, giant party. He called Queen Vashti in and said, hey, I want to display you in front of all my friends in this drunken brouhaha. She said, I'm not having it. He said, fine, you're no longer queen. And then he had, and a lot of people look at this, what we're about to read as very, I don't know the word, kind of me too-ish and, and demeaning and dehumanizing to women because he has this, this big nationwide call for a wife. And I get why people would think that. But I also don't understand, anyone watch The Bachelor? I'm not criticizing you if you do, I don't. But it's one of the most watched TV shows, and it's literally the same thing. Lots of women who say, hey, I don't know this guy, but I want to be paraded around in front of him so he'll choose me to be his wife. Except here, same thing, but you get to be queen. I mean, that's like a step up from some guy who might have a good job or might be a millionaire. You get to be queen. And this is what this is. But when that happens, Esther is one of the people. And Mordecai says, hey, don't tell them that you're Jewish. Because if you do, 
they're going to look at you differently. They're not going to see you. They're not going to see your intelligence. They're just going to see your race and are going to hate you because of it. Now, realistically, Medi Persian Empire, Jewish people, they all looked probably the same. But the reason why, because some people, hey, Floyd, why do you keep talking about racism and politics? Because it comes up throughout the Bible. It's not an American problem. It's a human problem that has been there for a while. And he tells her, hey, even though you look like them, once they find out that you're not the same nationality as them, they're going to hate you. Even though you look like them, once they find out you have a different religious belief than them, they're going to hate you. And so Mordecai comes along and he says, hey, even though you're stepping out and you're doing this thing, I want to be there for you. I want to encourage you. And the advice that I'm going to give you is to not let them hate you because of your race. Because then they won't see all that you have to offer. And this is what she had to offer. Um, back in the verse 10, he said, Esther did not reveal her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. And every day, every day, every day, he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was doing and what was happening to her. Drop down to verse 15. When the time, when the turn came for Esther, the girl Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abihail, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And this is important. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. So this is four years after Vashti had been, like, kicked out. She was probably still in the house, still kind of as a defunct queen. But this is four years because it said in the third year is when he threw this banquet where he called her. So this is in the seventh year he does this. So this is four years later. Now, the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women. And again, she won his favor and approval. And a lot of people like to say, oh, it was just because she was a pretty face. But she wasn't just a pretty face. And this is why Mordecai said, hey, don't tell them about your background. She won their favor because she was intelligent, because she was smart, because she was hospitable, because she was brought up in a God-honoring home by Mordecai where good, I don't know what the word is, uh, what's the word, where good behavior was instilled in her and family values were instilled in her and being respectful of other people was instilled in her. So when she was out on her own in this venture, it wasn't just that she looked good, she won their favor because of the way that Mordecai had brought her up. So this is what the king did. The king set a royal crown on her head, made her queen instead of Vashti, and in verse 18, and the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. Now, this whole holiday was probably her wedding. I mean, this is like Bachelor 3.0 where it's not just you get the rose. You get like a week-long or however long celebration and, and, and just everyone's partying. 
But because of Mordecai's influence, she flourished despite her circumstances. Because don't forget, they were in a nation that came in and brutally took them over and brought them to their nation. And even though at this time, as we were talking about, we read, where there some people were allowed to go back, they still were under oppression. And Mordecai said, hey, even despite the circumstances, we still need to be the people of God. Doesn't matter who's in charge, doesn't matter what nation we're in. So when he brought her up, he brought her up in a God-honoring way. And even his actions were respectful even to the government. Because in verse 21, it says, during the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Sinah and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry, and they conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai find out, found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were hanged on a gallows, and all this was recorded in the book of the annals as the presence of the king. So Mordecai also, uh, he's like, hey, even though I'm in another country, I, I need to, to figure out a way where I can still function in a God-honoring way without giving in to a government that is opposed to my beliefs and my people, but still do it in a God-honoring, respectful way. And if you read through the book of Daniel, you'll see the same thing when Daniel, he responds. He not only responds to a government that's oppressive to him and that literally took him and dragged him hundreds of miles through the desert into a foreign land, he goes to work for that government, but still respectfully speaks up time and time again, not just against the government, but to the very king whom he works for. But again, he does it respectfully. And this is why Mordecai uh, spends so much time pouring into Esther and equipping her because they're in circumstances that are not the best of circumstances to honor your God, but he still feels like, hey, we're still required to honor God, right? Now, uh, Stay in Esther. Let me change tracks for a minute. A few years ago, uh, we did a series called This Is Us. Anyone watch the TV show, This Is Us? Okay, yeah, they're about to come up with the final season. No spoilers, please. But final season, I haven't even watched the trailers because I don't want to know. I just, but um, final season, when it came out, uh, shortly after it came out, I think it was 2016 or 17, we did this series because it's all about their family and how they interact, good, bad, and otherwise still family. So we did a series called This Is Us, which focused on treating one another the way that God treats us, right? Because that's what we're supposed to do. And when we did this series, we introduced um, this thing, many of you may have already known about it, this thing called the one another's. You can Google it. There are 59 one another's, 59 verses where God speaks to the people of God and says, here's how you're to love one another, treat one another. Here's what you're not to do to one another. Here's how you're to serve one another. And we kind of highlighted a bunch of these, and I'll show you why these are relevant. 11 times it talks about in these one another verses how you're to serve one another. And this is, this is what Mordecai does. He serves Esther. Um, in Colossians chapter 3, it says this, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach 
and admonish one another with wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. That's what he does. He teaches. Admonish literally means to warn or to give advice to. It's a way of equipping. That's what he does to Esther. He says, hey, I'm, 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 I'm not just going to you know, bring you up in the house, but even when she left and she's queen, he was still wandering outside, worried about her. And even later when she's fully instilled as queen and, and, and the nation is in turmoil because his people are threatened, he still gives her advice because that phrase that everyone knows from the book of Esther, perhaps you were put in this situation for such a time as this, is him giving her advice that, hey, even though you're queen, you still need to do the God-honoring right thing regardless of the cost. He's still speaking into her life. He's still equipping her. He's still teaching her. He's still there for her. Uh, in 1 Peter, this is what we read. 1 Peter chapter 4, it says this. It says, each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We're supposed to serve one another. 26 times it talks about how we should treat one another, love one another with brotherly, brotherly affection as members of one family, giving precedence and showing honor to one another. Uh, in Galatians chapter 6, uh, it says this. It says, bear or endure, carry one another's burdens and troublesome moral faults. And, and I need to stop and, and, and spend a little time on this because that means that, hey, this is, this is the, the heart of being authentic community. That means that when someone's going through something, I'm not supposed to look and say, wow, sucks to be you that you're going through that. I'm supposed to come over and say, wow, how can I help carry you through this? And I know that means that we are supposed to get enmeshed in each other's life. And I know that means it can be messy. Because that means when you go through some of your junk, even though I'm doing okay, I'm supposed to come over here and help you carry your junk. But that's what it means to be the church. And that's what Mordecai did when he said, hey, I know we're in a foreign country. I know you got no one else. We all have our own problems your parents died, sucks to be you. Hopefully there's some good orphanages out there, but he doesn't do that. He says, I'm going to take your burdens upon me and I'm going to help you carry through this. And he says, when you do this, in this way you fulfill and observe, the perfectly, observe perfectly the law of Christ. The law of Christ and it's, this is the best way to summarize this because we all know this. The law of Christ, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Love your neighbors as yourself. Jesus said those two things fulfill the entire law. And he said, but a new command I give you. You're to love other people the way that I loved you. That is the law of Christ. And when you go to bear the burden of other people, even though I, that's your problem, I didn't cause it, I have nothing to do with it. But when you go to help them through it, you're fulfilling the law of Christ, loving others like he loved us. Because when he saw our sin problem, he stepped in and said, I'm going to bear your sins for you. And then... 1 Peter chapter 4 says this, 
practice hospitality to one another, those of the household of faith. This is just talking about how we treat other Christians, right? It's not even like, well, what about the people who are this and that? I don't know them. It's just talking about other Christ followers. I mean, if we just did this for people within our congregations, just people within our denominations, just treated one another with that type of love, the world would be a different place. He says, practice hospitality, to one another, those of the household of faith. Be hospitable. Be a lover of strangers with brotherly affection for the unknown guests, the foreigners, the poor, and all others who come your way who are of Christ's body. And in each instance, do it ungrudgingly, cordially, and graciously, without complaining, but as representing him. If we were just loving to one another, the world would be a different place. And again, he makes it crystal clear because I think it's like over 16 times and over and over again, it talks about in the one another, it's how we are to love one another. And in John 15, Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. This is the way that we're supposed to treat one another. This is the way that we're supposed to be there for one another. This is the way that we're supposed to help one another. Now, I want to show you why this is important going back to Esther, okay? Because when you get back to the book of Esther, Esther was orphaned as a child. Her parents died. Doesn't tell us how, but her parents died. When she went into the harem, she was probably 14 to 15 years old. Some say she could have been as young as 12 or 13. More likely, she was 14 to 15. That was the standard, whether we agree or disagree, okay age for women to enter into uh, marital relationships. She went through the three years of, 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 of they had this uh, process of, of grooming and, and all that stuff. And it's likely when she became queen, she was somewhere around 17 or 18. She was a child. She didn't know much. She had already gone through a harsh life, losing her her parents and being raised by another family member. But Mordecai stepped in and was the church to her. He loved her, he accepted her, and he brought her up. And that's what our youth need today. They need more people who are going to be Mordecais in their life, who are going to step in, and speak truth to them as they go through the challenges of life. I'm not saying that, 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 that you know, if we have more youth groups, we'll have less school shootings. I'm saying that if we have more children, youth and students, who know that God loves them and that he cares about them and he sent his son to die for them and their life is of value and the lives around them of a value, then yeah, we might have less school shootings. We might have less students that are feeling like their only way out is to commit suicide and to end their own life. We might have more students who respect the students around them if we had more Mordecais, more people in the church willing to go in and say, hey, I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to encourage you. And even though you're not my, you you know, I didn't bring you up in this household, I'm going to, I'm going to treat you like family and I'm going to love you. 
And I'm going to be like Mordecai every day. I'm going to be out there working, walking around, trying to figure out how I can help you, worrying, are you okay? Because our youth need that today. Let me, let me I want to share something with you. And I know this is, this is, this may be a little bit off topic, but I want to share something with you. This came out um, in uh, Education Week. According to the news outlet Education Week, there have been 28 school shootings resulting in injury or death so far in 2021, with 20 of them reported since August 1st. 20 of the school shootings, this came out the week after the, the, the school shooting in Michigan, 20 of the school shootings reported this year since August 1st. And kids just went back to school middle, end of August into September. Most of the school shootings have been in the last couple of months. This is why our youth need Jesus. Right? Now, now, now don't get me wrong. Um, we have a great school system, um, but we also have bullying in our school system. We have some of the best teachers, not just in the state, like in the United States, in our schools, who, who labor intensely for our students, but we have a lot of students who have a lot of issues and who have a lot of problems that our teachers are not equipped to handle. And it comes out in bullying, and it comes out in, 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 in all kind of ways. And we haven't seen the level of violence in our schools, in our school district, that we've seen you know, going around the nation with school shootings and stabbings and all kind of things. But we have seen a lot of our students that are troubled. We have seen students in our school district commit suicide. And there used to be a website up uh, that, that, that um, and I've talked about this before, called Experiences from TJ. It's recently been taken down uh, with students sharing, here's how I was bullied, here's what was going on, here's how I was made fun of because of my race, because of the way I looked, because of my ethnicity. And again, we have some of the greatest teachers around. But our teachers are supposed to educate our students. They're not supposed to teach them the morals and values that our students are supposed to get at home. And this is a great school district. But our students need people who are going to step in and share the love of Christ with them and make sure that they know that, hey, your life matters and the lives of the students around you matter. And I shared this earlier. Uh, this is why I've... I've, I've, I've I've known Travis for a couple of years. Um, um, I don't know how many. Uh, uh, had some, some fellowship instances with him, uh, been at some events with him, uh, talked to him off and on, uh, and even uh, got the message when he, a few years ago, left his full-time job at a church, paid to say, hey, you know what? I got to focus on this full-time because our youth matter. And when he did... At the time, I was like, well, let me, let me, I want to talk to our church because we want to, we want to come around and support you. And then, you know, life happened and then COVID happened and then all this happened. But we really can't hold off on this anymore. We need people like Travis who are going to go into our schools, 
are going to reach our students and who's who are going to commit their lives to making sure that they know Jesus. He's not beating them over the head with the Bible. Actually, if you go to, uh, um, I think it's outreachclubs.org is maybe what it is. There's like a two-minute trailer, and there's a list of events that they do, and I always get inundated with all these events that they do. And years ago, when we had a youth group, this would have been great, but uh, you know, now we have children who are like <laughs> not even thinking about that stuff. But all of the things they do, they're not run by staff. They're run by students. When they put on a, a, a youth conference, it's not staff saying, hey, kids, here's what you can do. It's other students saying, here's what we did to reach the students in our school for Christ. Here's how we prayed for them. Here's how we did outreach events for them. Here's how we sat down and talked with them about why we believe what we believe. And right now, uh, and I, I, I tried to get the number for them, I forget, uh, I think within just around our area, within a, if you go like a 50-mile radius, in many of the school districts, they have student outreach clubs all around this area. We don't have one at Jefferson. I don't think we have one in Elizabeth. And I know we don't have one in Clariton. All the school districts that surround us. So those students, I'm not saying they're not hearing the gospel, but they're not, they're not getting uh, the support during that daily life. Because when they're at school, right, what do kids hear at school? what's popular on TV, what other kids are doing, TikToks, all that kind of stuff. They're getting inundated with other voices about here's what you should do, here's how you should live, here's what you should try. And what I love what Travis does is because when the students are the ones carrying the message, they can interrupt all that noise with here's the one who loves you, Here's the God who created you, and here's the God who sent his son to die for you, and here's how you can know him today. And that's the most important thing that those students need to hear. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and we're going to close out praying for, again, Travis and his family and uh, the student outreach that they do. And I'm going to ask whoever you came in with, just, just grab the hand of whatever family member, if you're able to, if you've got a free hand, whoever you're standing next to, uh, because this is, this, is, this is all about what, what, what Mordecai did, is reaching out to people and acknowledging, hey, we, we are family. We're part of the family of God. So, God, we lift up Travis and his family to you first and foremost. We pray that you would encourage them. We pray that you would strengthen them. We pray that you would pour out every available financial and prayer resource and spiritual resource that you can muster to help them reach our students with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for all of the outreach clubs, all of the students who every day go in and put themselves on the line to reach out to other students, to share about the love of Christ, to show the love of Christ to the other students in their school and to invite those students to be recipients of your amazing love. And we, God, we pray for us and every congregation that we would support 
uh, either prayerfully or financially, this effort so that our kids know that their lives matter. That they were created by a loving God. That there is a God who desperately desires to know them and who sent his son to die for them and that they can experience that love today. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Amen.